השם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here to do our Wednesday night שיעור of Stump the Rabbi, where after a little bit of דברי תורה, about the weekly parasha, different subjects, you guys will ask some questions, and בעזרת השם הקדוש ברוך הוא will give us the answers. So, tonight's שיעור will be for הרפואה שלמה. for Rabbanit Levan Abat Sara, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Sara Bat Levana, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Orit Bat Ilana, Avim Ori David Ben Esriya, Doris Bat Jora, Sara Bat Sausan, and also for Atzlacha Raba, for Amir Ben Shahin, מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיול בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, יתרו בן אברהם, אושרי בן דוריס, גבי בן דוריס, אלעד בן דוריס, שאול בן פרזנה, ואולו ועם ישראל בעזרת השם רפואה שלמה, הצלחה רבה, searching for it and finding it as a Hashem and uh, continue to support uh, the Torah. So uh, we have Parashat uh, Vaishlach. Parashat Vaishlach is uh, perhaps uh, one of uh, my favorite parashot uh, in a sense that there's just so much in it on the, uh, not just the stories themselves, but the, uh, uh, the significance of each and every part of this parasha on our world today, uh, I find it uh, uh, very, very relevant, not that any other parasha is not, but very relevant to the uh, difficulties that uh, we as an organization and uh, try to deal with and, uh, and help people with on a regular basis. Now, in the beginning of the parasha, we have a, uh, uh, a very uh, common uh, issue Uh, among people today, which is, uh, we learned from Yaakov Avinu, uh, and in essence, the rebuke that Yaakov Avinu is getting from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, what to expect in life. As the parasha starts, Vayishlach Yaakov, I'm sorry, um, we're in the wrong parasha. Vayishlach, we're in, Vayeshev, Vayeshev. Vayeshev Yaakov, Be'eret Megure Aviv, Be'eret Knaan, Eret Todot Yosef, How come we went from Yaakov settled in the land of his father's sojourning? In so many words, he uh, went and lived where his father lived, in the land of Canaan, where was uh, today's uh, Israel. Uh, and then it goes that the, these are the chronicles of Yaakov. Yosef, uh, Yosef at the age of 17. What happened to, to the chronicles of Yaakov? We wanted to learn the, uh, the life of Yaakov, but uh, all we're doing is we're learning about the uh, nightmare of Yaakov uh, that happened uh, with uh, his favorite son, Yosef. Uh, so why, why is it this way? So Rashi says that uh, Yaakov, uh, and his holiness, figured that after all the difficulties that he's had throughout life, whether it's a... Uh, running away from Esav, or having to learn at the yeshiva of Shem and Eva for 14 years without uh, going to sleep, standing up the whole time, 
uh, or uh, or it's a uh, it's, you know just to prepare for the uh, you know the, the the battle he's gonna have with the biggest criminal in the world, Lavan, which the Chachamim uh, say that eventually becomes Bilam. So this is a uh, long-time criminal, uh, an enemy of uh, Am Yisrael, uh, and he has to go deal with them face to face for not one day, not two days, not one year, not two years. He has to be there for 20 years. So you ran away from Esav. You went and studied Torah. You ran and then you go to the house of Lavan, who cheats you, who gives you a wife that you don't want. And then just for you to get the one that you want, you have to work uh, another seven years. And then after that, if you actually want to have any money, you have to work another seven years. So 20 years later, you finally made a few dollars. You finally built your career. You're uh, already at a point where you have kids. And you figured, okay, let me time, time for me to go. And this uh, greedy uh, idol worshiper, Lavan, says, no, everything that you have is mine. So Yaakov has to deal with this. Then he has to deal with the fact that Esav is not only still alive and well, but still hates him and still wants to kill him. And he has to fight there. And if that's not enough, uh, he finds out that he made the wrong decision when it came to his daughter Dina. His daughter Dina was really supposed to be another wife that would be added to the uh, uh, slew of wives that Esav Arasha already had. Because Dina had a special type of holiness that could have helped Esav do tshuva and uh, turn him into a tzaddik instead of into the Amalek that he turned into. Uh, but Yaakov did not uh, want to risk his daughter and that ended up becoming a, a tragedy that uh, Arav Yagen, Allah Shalom, used to always say is the biggest tragedy that ever happened to Am Yisrael that, uh, you know, that when people don't really understand what happened there. Uh, Dina gets raped by some chamor, uh, some donkey over there, which really that's, the, that's his, his name. Um, uh, Shechem ben chamor was, uh, was his name. And uh, she gets raped. Uh, so that's, uh, okay, another tragedy there. And if that's not bad enough, then he finds out that his uh, two sons, Shimon and Levi, just committed mass murder of an entire city. Now, rightly so, but wrongly so. Rightly so, because really all they did is institute the Noahide laws. Noahide laws say that if a uh, person... Uh, is a uh, kills another person, then you could uh, you have to kill him. It's a Noahide law, or if you steal, if a uh, idol worship, and all types of other things that you have in the Noahide laws, which the uh, the uh, people uh, uh, of Hamor and, and Shechem over there that uh, raped Dina, that were holding her hostage, uh, they were committing all of these crimes, and therefore they all deserved the death penalty. So technically. Uh, Shimon and Levi did the right thing by uh, murdering all of them. But why is, why is uh, Yaakov concerned? Because you did it in a conniving way. You did it in a conniving way, and even though the sages debate whether it's the right way or the wrong way, nonetheless, it's a, uh, Yaakov is not happy with the fact that they did it in a conniving way. Why? Because midval from a thing of lies you should stay away from. Stay away from anything that has to do with lying whether it's lying itself or it's even someone that's a friend that's a compulsive liar or you just simply lying to yourself and pretending like you're righteous and in reality you haven't even begun to do tshuva. Stay away from that, face the fact, stop being a, uh, uh, a faker and, and, and do the right thing. Do the right thing. 
So Yaakov has to deal with the fact that he has a bunch of bodies everywhere. And of course, this is not just something that goes away. You have to uh, deal with all of the things that come with it. The spoils from, uh, from this place uh, were a bunch of slaves that he has to deal with. And also all of the money and the gold and so on. But we see that Yaakov is concerned with one thing. What is he concerned with? Remove all of the idols from among you. So now you have a bunch of idols, a bunch of uh, Buddha statues and crosses show up in the house of Yaakov. So, okay, so Yaakov says to everyone, get rid of all this filth out of my house. Fine. Uh, then if that's, a, uh, if, if that's not enough, if that's not enough, you have uh, the battle with Esau. You have the battle with uh, just uh, to, to learn enough to survive in this uh, crazy world. Then you have the battle with Lavan. Then you have the battle with Esau again. Then you have, uh, you know, just the chinuch of your children. Then the, the, the daughter gets raped. I mean, enough's enough. So, I think it would be, uh, you know, uh, in our own lowly common sense, it would make sense that at this point, Yaakov would simply relax. Relax and enjoy. That's, uh, that's what you would think. And that's, in essence, what Yaakov Avinu thought. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not like this thought. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In fact, this, the fact that Yaakov thought such a thing at his level deserved an extra rebuke, a punishment in essence in this world. What was it? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Yaakov, how could it be that the righteous that have an eternity of good waiting for them, also expect to enjoy this world. No, no, no. Adam la'amal yulad. A person came to this world to toil. You did not come to this world to relax and enjoy. The people that suffer the most in this world are people that expect, people that expect to relax, expect to have a good time, expect no problems. The people that expect difficulties typically don't suffer as much. Don't suffer as much. They may have more difficulty, less difficulty, but they don't suffer mentally as much. Why? Because they were already prepared mentally that this is what I'm here to do. This is what I'm here to do. Generally speaking, this is a uh, the people that end up succeeding the most in life that they're already are uh, are uh, prepared, not necessarily for the worst. They're just simply prepared. And but unfortunately, there are certain people that live a delusional life and think that what. Hashem uh, should give me a good time. Why? Because I kept Shabbos. Okay, so you kept Shabbos and that means that you should give you uh, everything you want? Yeah, why not? And that's unfortunately the, the ideology of a lot of people that uh, they believe that they are, Hashem owes them, Hashem owes them a uh, reward in this world. And that's unfortunately one of the things that the Zohar Kadosh uh, uh, talks about and says that there are some people that uh, do things uh, because they, uh, they do the will of Hashem and they even pretend to have the fear of heaven because they are expecting Hashem to make them millionaires. But the moment that, uh, that there is any type of test, they abandon Hashem uh, like, a, uh, you know, like it's just a, a bad, uh, bad uh, food. Uh, and uh, this is in Tikkun Azal, the last Tikkun, Tikkun 70. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Rabotai this is one of the things that's happening today where you see that there's a lot of people uh, are uh, simply abandoning mitzvot. 
abandoning this different mitzvot just simply because it doesn't fit them. They've learned from wicked people that told them that you should keep Shabbat because Hashem is going to give you a lot of reward without telling them at the same time that uh, Hashem is also going to punish you if you don't keep Shabbat. Meaning they only taught them half the Torah and they didn't do it because of the right reason. They taught them that way because that makes the Torah more marketable in their perspective. And I call those people wicked because they're literally destroying an entire generation. They're making the Torah into a product. A product that you try to sell people. Listen, you you should keep Shabbat because then Hashem will give you money. You should uh, do this because then Hashem will give you money. You should do that because then Hashem will give you money. Habibi, how about this? Do it or don't do it. But the reality is there's going to be a consequence. If you do it, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will eventually reward you. But ultimately it's all in the next world. If you don't do it, Hashem is going to punish you. For sure, we'll punish you in the next world, but you're also going to get some punishment in this world. How about that for, for, for an argument? Now you guys say, wait, that's not more marketable. People are going to run away. Let them run away then. Let them run away. Why are you treating people like sheep? Like they can't make the, the decisions with the correct information. Why are you the only one that's entitled to the truth? Why are you the only one that's entitled to the truth? Tell people things how they are. Why? The, look at how the world operates. Do you see the government uh, being gun-shy about passing new laws? Oh, listen, people, uh, you know, we're going to pass some new laws, but don't worry. If you don't uh, pay, it's okay. And if you pay, we'll, uh, we'll give you some money back. Do you see the government do that? No. They say, listen, this is the new tax rate. If you pay, good for you. You don't pay, we'll put you in jail. Simple. That's the end. Uh, this is the new speed limit. If you, uh, if you pass it, we're going to give you a ticket and uh, perhaps maybe even take your license, put you in jail. Uh, if you uh, go here, you cross this line, we'll put you in jail. If you do this, we'll put you in jail. If you say this, we'll put you in jail. If you do that, we'll put you in jail. Jail, 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 lawsuits, jail, jail. That's how the world works. People adhere to it and say, okay, you know what? I don't want to go to jail. So thank you for letting me know. But for whatever reason or another, in the last few generations, people... I've, uh, that are supposed to teach people to lot, I've turned the Jewish people into something like as if we are all uh, uh, attention deficit disorder, uh, or perhaps maybe we're all slow, or, or simply we're just so weak-minded that, that we cannot handle the truth. But the truth be told is that not only can the Jewish people and the rest of the world handle the truth, but quite frankly, that's what we prefer. And I see it from my own experience of speaking to people for so many years, and helping countless people uh, get to HaKadosh Baruch they tell me, listen, even though what you're saying is harsh, I prefer this than somebody selling me uh, a bag of chips when in reality it's full of snakes. Uh, and that's the reality. So it's, it's one of the things that, uh, that I think is important for a person to know is not to lie to themselves. Not to lie to themselves. A person came to this world to work, to serve HaKadosh Baruch Do not lie to yourself and start changing things but unfortunately when you have the uh, the religion of the manises and the mazes and the goldbergs and all of these other uh dwecks of the world uh and you make it marketable you try to see maybe i'll modernize it here and i'll modernize it there then the moment things don't fit for people they start cutting off mitzvot and that's why you have an entire sect of judaism called modern uh, orthodox simply cut off parts of the Torah on a regular basis and justifying it by distorting parts of the Torah at the same time. Now, of course, 
you got the the uh, the real leaders of modern Orthodox, whether you want to call it the Rav Slovachik Shalom or Rav Shechter Shichyeh. Uh, they're never going to do the same thing like their followers are doing, but nonetheless, their followers are going to distort what they say and how they say it in order to justify their own new uh, new perspective on life. Why? Because the little minions, the Goldbergs, the Manises, the, the, the Dwecks, all of these other people that are speaking to the people more on a regular basis, they're making the, the Torah into a marketable thing and they're simply telling you, Listen, what, you're a homosexual? Don't worry about it. There's 613 mitzvot. So what if you don't keep one? There's a lot of other ones you can't keep. And it's, it's when you start taking the Torah and cutting it into little pieces, before you know it, you have people doing things, everything against the Torah and almost nothing for the Torah. And that's why the, the uh, uh, conservative Judaism today, conservative Judaism today is pretty much identical to uh to reform there's not much difference between them left you know uh, 70 years ago 60 years ago the conservative of was very similar to modern orthodox of today but they started driving on shabbat and before you know it today the head of the uh, conservative movement is open uh, homosexual openly homosexual man he's the leader of the conservative movement in israel and uh, unfortunately today they allow into marriage but they justify them allowing into marriage by saying, no, this is going to create unity. We're not going to lose the people, but we're still staying religious. How we're staying religious as conservatives? We're staying religious because we're not going to have our rabbis officiate the, uh, the, the marriage. No, no, if rabbis officiating the marriage of two homosexuals or into marriage, no, we're not going to do that. But the reform do that. Yeah, yeah, you will send them to the reform. So now they've justified. They've gone from driving on Shabbat to now they're officiating weddings and, and to, uh, to now uh, uh, having ho- open homosexuals in their community and so on and welcoming everybody. Now, you think, oh, that's very far away from modern Orthodox. Absolutely not. Why? You have entire communities of modern Orthodox where people drive to shul on Shabbat. They drive on Yom Kippur. They drive on uh, Yom Tov with nothing, nothing to even say about it. No one will even say anything about it. In fact, the the whole issue of of modesty has been thrown into the garbage thrown into the garbage you actually not only see the the communities themselves walking around immodest on a regular basis but you even see uh people like goldberg actually take pictures with women take pictures with women that are not even his wife and eshet ish hugging them and putting it himself online this is not like some hidden camera that caught the guy hugging some lady and uh, they're exposing it no he himself is proud of the fact that he's able to hug some strange woman that's not his wife but yet the same uh uh uh, that he is supposed to comply with the same that all of us are supposed to comply with says you're not allowed to do such a thing the uh in uh in perik yud alif says that a man is not allowed to show any type of affection to his own wife to his own wife in public yet these people are not only showing affection to their wives in public and putting their pictures on the internet hugging their wife and they think it's cute yeah for secular people for for non-jews for final for a group of apes it's cute for a husband and wife to show affection affection in public but for Jewish people that are religious, it's forbidden. 
It's forbidden. It's, 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 it, you can show affection in privacy. In privacy. Show as much affection as you want in privacy. But that's the problem. We have tried to modernize uh, Judaism so much to a point where it's become a different religion. It's no longer different sects of Judaism. Reform is a different religion. Conservative is a different religion. And quite frankly, modern Orthodox is a different religion than the real authentic Judaism. And this is not even my words. I spoke to one of the Gdoleado in America about six years ago. And when we were talking about, please help us with this whole uh, uh, issue, or five years ago, the issue with uh, Goldberg wanting to bring this uh, missionary to, uh, to his community, he said, I agree with everything that you're saying. I agree with everything that you're saying, but one thing that you're making a mistake. You think that modern Orthodox and Orthodox are the same religion. That's your mistake. I couldn't believe my ears. What do you mean it's not the same religion? Now I understand. Now I understand they have a whole new set of rules that are not written anywhere. Aside from blogs. Blogs maybe they're written. You're not going to see a Shulchan Aruch. You're not going to see a Mishneh Torah. You're not going to see a, 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 a Mishnah Brura. You're not going to see Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. You're not going to see any Allahic Sefer that says that you're allowed, that a Jew is allowed to show Chibah, show, allow to show affection to his own wife in public. You're never going to find a Sefer like this. Needless to say, you're never going to find a Sefer that's going to tell you that you are allowed to show affection to a woman that's not your wife in public. Needless to say, times a thousand, are you ever going to find a sefer that's going to tell you that a rabbi, a so-called leader, is allowed to show affection to a woman that's not his wife in public. But yet, people actually love this. They love this. Why? Because since he is a hypocrite, it allows them to be hypocrites. So Rabotai Karim, the sources have no end. The question is whether we're looking to be truthful or hypocrites. That's the key. You want to be truthful or you want to be a hypocrite? If you want to be a hypocrite, be a hypocrite, fine. But don't pretend. Don't pretend like you're being an honest person. Don't pretend. That's it. We're not judges. We're not juries. We simply can't stand hypocrites. Can't stand hypocrites. That's really where it comes down to. Quite frankly, there are people that are outright against the Torah that are, are, are easier to deal with than people that pretend like they're for the Torah. Why? Because those people say, listen, I understand what you're saying. I either don't believe it or I believe it, but I simply don't want to do it because I'm addicted to my desires. And that's it. But at least they don't pretend. At least they don't pretend. But that's unfortunately what we have in the world today. So... The second Yaakov Avinu, going back to our parasha, parashat Ve'eshev, the second Yaakov Avinu steered in a direction that HaKadosh Baruch Hu simply forbid him to, where he, uh, you're, you're thinking for a moment that you're going to have a moment of peace in his house, in this, in this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rebuked him and actually sent him the, uh, the next uh, horrific event, perhaps the worst event that ever happened in Yaakov's life when his son... Uh, Yosef disappeared and uh, he thought he was uh, dead for 20 years. Now, the whole issue of, uh, of, of Yosef is really a, uh, another story in itself. 
Uh, and uh, each section of this parasha is a story of itself. It's a shiur of itself. You could literally give a shiur from now until the end of the world and still not be finished if it was just about this parasha. Now, you have this whole issue of Yosef HaTzadik. And uh, Yosef is a smart boy. He's a smart young man, 17-year-old, beautiful kid, smart kid, learning Torah with his, with his father. He's uh, uh, the uh, favorite son, favorite son of his father, where it outright says, V'Yisrael Avit Yosef Mikol Banav. It's literally a verse in the Torah that says that uh, Israel, Yaakov Avinu, loved Yosef more than all of the sons. So this is actually a, uh, a lesson to us that uh, although each parent has a unique relationship with different children, if you have multiple children, and sometimes you'll actually have a favorite. A favorite is created over time, you know, based on the relationship that you uh, have with the child. The more the child is uh, in line with what the uh, parents want them to do, the easier it is for the parent to make that child a uh, favorite. But you should always remember that the other kids also want to be a favorite. So it's, uh, it's, it's something that each and every one of us has to constantly work on to, uh, even if we do have a favorite, to not show it to the kids, to make each one of the kids feel like they are the favorite. And that's a, uh, a life's work in itself. But nonetheless, uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, happens uh, in, uh, in many houses, if not every house, that have kids. Uh, it's obviously easy to be the favorite if there's only one, uh, one child, but uh, it's also a very difficult life for somebody to be an only child. So here you have a, a house full of children, and out of all the children, Yosef is the favorite. Now this Yosef is a tzaddik. This Yosef is a chacham. This Yosef is a very, very special person. And Yaakov Avinu gives him a special clothes, a kutonet pasim. What is this kutonet pasim that's mentioned in the Torah several times? Why do I care? How come it doesn't say that, uh, you know, that Yehuda wore a sweater and Ruven wore a uh, long sleeve shirt and Shmuel wore a button down shirt? Why do I care that Yosef wore a kutonet, a fine woolen tunic? Why? Because this kutonet is not a regular type of clothes. This is the clothes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made for Adam HaRishon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made in order to uh, uh, really try to uh, appease Adam HaRishon after he was, Hashem kicked him out of the garden. He uh, gave him special clothes uh, so because Adam HaRishon became very, very sad. So for him not to completely throw everything away, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him clothes and this special clothes was uh, uh, given to Adam Elishon. It was made by the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That piece of clothes was then transferred from generation to generation. Uh, Noah had it, of course. It survived the flood. So you're talking about already a piece of clothes that's a couple of thousand years old. Then Nimrod, Nimrod Arasha, Nimrod the wicked, had it uh, because this kutonet would give him special powers that no one was able to kill him. No one was able to kill him, and uh, when Esav found out about this kutonet, uh, because Yaakov told him about it, uh, Esav uh, uh, told uh, Nimrod, "You're not really a hero. You're a faker. You know, if you want to really, if you're really a hero, fight me without this kutonet, without this tunic." And that's what happened. Esav killed 
Nimrod and took the clothes. But then, throughout the whole event between Esav and Yaakov, Yaakov took it back. His mother, Rivka, gave him the clothes, and that's the clothes that uh, Yaakov wore when he met his father and pretended to be Esav. And he left with this, and he took this, and it survived all two decades that he was away uh, at uh, Lavan's house. And now eventually he gives this 2,000-year-old, 2,500-year-old uh, 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 clothes. He gives it to his son. So this is not just, oh, it's in the family. This is, it's in creation clothes, a very, very special piece of clothes. So of course it's going to create jealousy. Of course, could create jealousy. Who's not going to be jealous? Who's not going to be jealous? But the problem is, Rabotaye Karim, jealousy is a uh, is is avak avak. If it's not mamash, it's avak kfira. Jealousy, if it's not one hundred percent heresy, it's at the very least the dust of heresy. Why is that? Because in essence, each and every single one of us needs to understand. That everything comes to us because of the decision of Hashem. Everything. There's not a single body part that you have that operates without a Kadosh Baruch Hu deciding that this is going to operate. You do not have a single penny that ever goes into your pocket or outside of your pocket without a Kadosh Baruch Hu deciding that this will be. There's Gemara, Masechet Rosh Hashanah, Masechet Beitzah, Baba Metziah. Talk about how Kadosh Baruch Hu decides how much money a person is going to make and how much money a person is going to lose every single year. And uh, uh, the Baal Shem Tov teaches of how the way a person makes money is decided every single day based on their actions. Meaning how much he's going to make is decided. Let's say he's going to gross a million dollars. How he's going to make it could be him uh, carrying bags of salt over his back, could be uh, winning a lawsuit. How much he's going to keep, also decided. Could be that out of the million dollars, he only keeps uh, $50. Or loses money at the end. Or could be that he ends up uh, keeping the whole thing. HaKadosh Baruch decides all of these things. It's needless to say, HaKadosh Baruch decides if you're going to get married or not. If you're going to uh, be rich or not. If you're going to get this job or not. Everything is decided by HaKadosh Baruch The only thing that's not decided... By HaKadosh Baruch Hu is whether you will serve him or not. That's your decision. Everything is from heaven except the fear of heaven. Which means that any time we are jealous of another person for any reason aside from being jealous of his Torah. That's the only thing that you're allowed to be jealous of. And quite frankly, that's the only reason why Hashem put jealousy into the world. Because you can use everything for good. You can use jealousy for good by being jealous of another Torah scholar that's going to entice you to learn more Torah. Not jealous of him so you can insult him and and tarnish him and try to kill him, but jealous of him that he makes you work harder. That's generally the best type of jealousy. Jealousy for competition, that's healthy competition. Healthy jealousy that's going to make you more competitive, that's going to make you work harder, not you tarnish everybody else. But unfortunately, Rabotai, most jealousy that's in the world today is horrible, cancerous, poisonous jealousy that destroys lives. And the uh, unfortunately, Rabotai, this type of jealousy is at the very least, at the very least, it is the dust of heresy, if not heresy itself. I mean, the, the, the uh, Gemara says that a person that has jealousy in themselves 
is not going to be resurrected with the dead. So the punishment is severe for having jealousy. And you could say, wait a minute, everybody has jealousy. Exactly. Everybody has a very serious problem. That's why we're teaching this. Everybody has a problem. That's the point. That's why we're saying it. Everybody has it. Doesn't mean that Hashem is just going to cancel it out of the Torah. If everybody just starts to kill people, doesn't mean that Hashem is going to allow murder. If everybody just decides to do anything, doesn't mean that Hashem is going to say, okay, you know what? Canceled. Check. You know, people have to understand. If everybody stops paying taxes, the government is not going to stop saying, oh, you know what? Nobody has to pay taxes. If everybody just starts to uh, just, you know, do whatever they want, the government, the law, the, uh, the company you work for, even the household that you're in is not going to just allow this just because you feel like doing it and everybody's following you. If it's wrong, it's wrong. The problem is, Abutai, that jealousy is in essence showing lack of belief in Hashem to such a high magnitude that in essence we're telling Hashem with that belief that what he gave him really belongs to me. You made a mistake, Hashem. That's in essence what jealousy is. We look at this guy's car and say, why does he have that car? Hashem, how come you don't give me that kind of car? Why'd you give him the car? What does he do that he deserves the car? I do this, I do that, I do this. And in essence, that jealousy cooks up the neshama and as that person is cooking, his own genome is cooking too. Why? Because he is literally thinking heretical thoughts in his mind that will eventually culminate in bad things culminate in bad actions and how do i know it culminates in bad actions we see we see in this week's parasha where yosef was a uh simply a uh a beautiful amazing kid that had everything going for him aside from the fact that uh he uh, made a few mistakes in his judgment of what to tell his brothers and what not to tell them. And he misjudged how much jealousy was between him and his brothers, especially because of the kutonit. That tunic was like the nail on the coffin. And uh, his brothers hated him. It says, uh, he told them, and it's, uh, it says multiple times in the parasha that his brothers hated him to the point where they couldn't speak to him peacefully. It was constant arguing. And then again it says, and he, uh, and he told them uh, another piece of uh, information, and they hated him because of this dream that he told them. Everything that he told them, they just kept hating him, hating him, hating him. But ultimately, we're asking ourselves, why do they hate him so much? So in, uh, in verse uh, 11, in chapter 37, it says, so his brothers were jealous of him. His brothers were jealous of him. So we see that the root, the root of the hatred was jealousy. Now, the Mishnah in Avot, there are uh, certain uh, traditions that have it uh, in uh, chapter 4. Mishnah number 28, and certain traditions have it as uh, chapter 4, Mishnah number 21. Either way, it says the same thing. Rabbi Lazar Kapar, Omer, Akina v'atava v'akavod, motzim et adam ha'olam. That the uh, jealousy, lust, and pride remove a person from the world. This is the point we're going to try to build on, because this teaching... It's very deep, 
and uh, although we've covered it to a certain extent in the past in the Pirkei Avot series and in other shiurim, it's really never, uh, never enough. Now, you see here that the Mishnah says, there's the jealousy, there's the lust, the, the, the uncontrollable desire, and then there's the kavod, there's the pride, seeking honor. And we see really that the sages chose not only these words, but the sentence itself is said in a certain format to teach you a lesson in itself, where the order of the words is of significant value. Akin'ah is where we begin, and the kavod is where we will eventually get to, and ultimately all of this is going to remove a person from the world, meaning they'll lose this world and eternity because of these feelings. Because those feelings lead to a desire. Now, the kinah, jealousy, is something that begins with the simplest lack of gratitude that is ignored and ultimately becomes a habit. The moment a person makes it a habit to say to not say thank you the moment a person starts believing that the world owes them something anything the moment a person thinks that their spouse owes them something their spouse is obligated to do something the moment a person believes that their boss is supposed to give them something and things are supposed to be a certain way and they forget to appreciate even the smallest things because they're supposed to get it that moment is the beginning of a long road to hell both in this world and the next not only for them but for everybody around them because of how much suffering they'll cause people Lack of gratitude is one of the most detested habits that uh, Hashem uh, 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 detests in people. Because really all we have to do in this world is say thank you. But unfortunately, many people don't, not only don't say thank you, but they feel entitled. They feel like they're owed something. Now why is this lack of gratitude so bad? Because once a person has is lack of gratitude they expect more whatever you give them is no longer enough you give them one they want two why don't you say thank you for one you say thank you for one I want two you give me two I'll say thank you okay so you give them two yeah but he has four how come you didn't give me four like him but you asked for two I gave you one you asked for two I give you two yeah I only asked for two because I thought that I would have the most if I have two but now that I see that he has four, I want four. Okay, so you give him four. Hey, hold on a second. If you already have four, how come you don't give me so much more? Since you have so much yourself. And that's what happens. And I remember seeing it myself with my own eyes with certain people that used to work for me. And the deluded, the deluded arguments that I would sometimes have with people 
I would literally think that I'm talking to crazy people. I would have a guy come to my office and in and, and one of the different businesses or some type of other deal. And this, some of these people literally are deluded. And you're thinking to yourself, how does this person survive every day and put his pants on one leg at a time? Maybe he gets help. Like, you don't understand how this person survives. Why? You literally have a guy that his skill set is barely to clean a toilet. Barely to clean a toilet. And you tell him, okay, listen, I'll hire you. I'll give you a job. You don't have a job. I'll give you a job to clean the toilet. Fine. How much are you going to pay me? I'll pay you the price that it costs to pay somebody, the, the, the average rate of what it, uh, what it is for people that clean toilets. If that's $30,000, I'll pay you $30,000. Simple. No. Why? I won't move. Why would you only pay me $30,000? Well, because you're cleaning toilets. Yeah, but he makes 200000 Who? That guy over there. Yeah, but he doesn't clean toilets. He builds buildings. He does deals. Yeah, so what? Well, it's not. It's just as hard to clean toilets as it is to uh, do all those deals. Okay, so go do it. Oh, I can't do it. Okay, so if you can't do it, then you can't get the $200,000 that he's getting. No, why not? I don't understand. Now, you guys are laughing at this. I deal with these stupid people on a regular basis and Wall Street and regularly. There are people in the world walking among us. Maybe perhaps this is the aliens that people always talk about that are walking among us. There are people in the world that are so deluded. They're so deluded in the world where they believe that they are entitled to everything without contributing a thing. And if you get them to contribute anything, Oh, why? You owe them for life. Unfortunately, Rabotai, this begins with a lack of gratitude that forms into a, a opinion of they're entitled, and then it never ends because it builds up and builds up, and they start thinking about, wait, but he has more. How come I don't have? He has more. How come I don't have? He has more. How come I don't have? Okay, so do what they do, and you'll get what they have. No, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Why can't you just give it to me? This is the attitude people have in the world today when it comes to the attitude of God. Why can't God just give me what I want? Like, are you a serious person? Or are you an alien that came from like a, a mental institution from some alien planet? People actually believe that Hashem should give them whatever they want just because... I don't understand how anybody lives in this world and actually survives an entire 24 hours with such a belief system. It's unbelievable to me. But unfortunately, we have an entire generation of retarded people that think this. Why doesn't Hashem just give me what I want? Why should he? Because that's what they think, just because I want it. I mean, it sounds simple. And perhaps some of you are in this world and you think i'm over exaggerating something but it really it's the most retarded argument in the world why would anybody give you anything for anything nothing is free you can't go to a store and just take stuff you can't get anything for free in the world why would you have eternity for free why would you have a good life for free why i don't understand how people have this argument in their mind and they actually believe this nonsense but yet you have people walking among us that believe this to be true and anything otherwise is simply 
repulsive to them. This begins with the lack of gratitude that then graduates and becomes an entitlement which ultimately builds up to a point of a life of jealousy and simply lack of appreciation for anything. Now this kin'ah, this kin'ah is where it all begins. This road to hell begins with kin'ah. And I call it road to hell not only because it's going to lead to Gainom eventually because these people are typically very sinful people, but because it's a life of hell. Because a person that's jealous is never going to have enough and therefore will never be happy. If he has 100, he wants 200. If he has 200, he wants 400. If he has 400, he wants 800. If he has one wife, he wants another wife. But whose wife? The wife that's already married. He doesn't, want a, he doesn't want a person that's single. He wants a person that's married to somebody else. But once he adds, he doesn't want it. And unfortunately, over time, when you let this get out of control, it could literally lead to the worst things in the world. And we'll see that in this week's parasha. Parashat Vayeshev tells us that the kinah is where it began. It began with the, the brothers were simply jealous of Yosef. He had a kutonet, that kutonet symbolized a love an affection a favoritism that he had by Yaakov and this type of kinah this jealousy leads to foolish decisions what decisions does the kinah lead to first and foremost it leads a person to follow their desires since they're no longer following what they're uh, the, the instructions from Hashem the instructions of the Torah they're simply following their, uh, their uh, lack of appreciation, their lack of control, and therefore they have so much jealousy. So this leads to living a life of fulfillment of desires. Atava. Now a person that simply follows their desires is not going to think straight. Why? Because they're simply going to do whatever is going to make them feel good. Eating makes you feel good they'll eat as much as possible whenever possible what if it's not kosher listen if i'm hungry if it's not kosher i consider it already pikuach nefesh they'll think they'll justify all of their bad decisions simply because of their lack of control of their desires here we see the brothers the, the shvatim the holy kodesh kodeshim have a moment of weakness what we call a ruach shtut a moment of weakness where they see their brother and their jealousy leads to a moment where they just have this desire to get rid of him but how can we just get rid of him he's our brother wait a minute one of them says he just told us that we're all going to be eh, under him in his dream he said a couple of times we're gonna bow to him but we all know that Yehuda is the leader Yehuda is the leader. So in essence, what is uh, Yosef trying to do? He's trying to steal the kingdom from Yehuda. That is a death penalty. And they sat and they judged him and they concluded, we have to kill Yosef. We have to kill Yosef. And they used the Torah as they knew in a distorted way. Why distorted way? Because it, the, the, the Torah they had was correct, but not in this particular case. Why not in this particular case? Because this particular case had a bias where its root began with jealousy and then a desire. A desire they wanted to fill. That jealousy led to a desire. The desire to get rid of their brother Yosef. And they wanted to kill him. And that's what it says. 
they conspired against him to kill him. It wasn't a legitimate Bedin that looked at the law in an unbiased way. It wasn't such a thing. They had the Torah, they had the truth, but their jealousy changed their judgment and their evaluation ability. And therefore it led to that desire. Now of course, if this would be it, then we, uh, we wouldn't have such a uh, long parasha. But nonetheless, this is not it. And it's, uh, it's only a, a token. It's only a token. Because we know that the um, Achim initially wanted to kill. And Reuven came. He came and saved him, said, don't kill him. But unfortunately, Uven was too lethargic when it came to the mitzvah. He uh, was told him, don't kill him. Let me uh, deal with this later. He had to go complete his tshuva somewhere else. But by the time he came back, already they have sold Yosef, which in essence also teaches us that we can't be lethargic when it comes to mitzvot. But we see, Rabotai, that uh, after they sell him, after they sell him, the first thing, first thing that uh, the, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, before they sell him, first thing they do when they capture him, before they throw him into the bowl, into the, into the hole, first thing they do is they take off the kutonet. What do you care about his kutonet? You, if you went and want him dead, just kill him with everything he has. No, 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 we want this kutonet. Why do you want this kutonet? It's not for you. Uh, uh, Yaakov gave it to him. No, no, no. It's Kutonet. He doesn't deserve it. All of a sudden, you decide. Your jealousy decides who deserves what. And somehow, you always deserve. Somehow, you always deserve and nobody else deserves. So the Achim, the Shvatim, the Tzadikim, Kodesh Kodeshim, had a moment of weakness, which is written in the Torah. And if it wasn't written in the Torah, we wouldn't be allowed to say it. They had a moment of weakness where Yafshitu et Yosef, they took the Kutonet. They took the kutonet, they sold, they sold uh, Yosef, but then we see something that's pereplain. I read this parasha many times, but I only noticed it today. That after they did this whole ordeal, they captured Yosef, they judged him according to their distorted judgment, they took him, they sold them. They come back to Yaakov. They come and they bring this kutonet. It's full of blood. And they show it to the father. Here, is this it? This is your son? Perhaps an animal killed him. So what does this mean? I've read this before. I'm sure you've read this before. This whole thing that started out of a jealousy of the Kutonet and then taking the Kutonet from Yosef. In the end, they didn't even end up with the Kutonet. They gave it to the father. Now you could say, yeah, because they had to give the father something to show that Yosef is, uh, is dead. Why didn't they choose the pants? Why didn't they choose, I don't know, a sleeve? Why did they choose, I don't know, a chain, uh, a hat, anything else? What does that really show? When somebody is jealous of something, 
They're not jealous because of the item itself. They're jealous because of jealousy itself. You're not jealous of that uh, guy for, oh, because you want that car. You just want. You just want what you don't have. If you had the car, you wouldn't even want it. When they had the kutonet that they were jealous about, they no longer wanted it. That's why they used it as a tool to confuse their father. They no longer wanted the kutonet. They simply used it. Oh, here you go. Here, this is your son. Here, whatever. This is garbage of you. We found it. We're full of blood. I don't know. Maybe it's your son. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. If you wanted this kutonet so much, you could have hid it. You could have put it in the woods somewhere. You could have done something. If it was so important that you were so jealous that you were willing to kill your brother over it, at least keep it. But you see that it wasn't about that. It was, I don't necessarily want the car. I don't necessarily want the house. I don't necessarily want the position of CEO. I want the kavod that it comes with. I want the pride that comes with it. I want the honor that comes with it. It's not the kutonet. It's not the house that he has. It's not the company that he has. And it's not even the position that he has. It says on his card, CEO. It's how everybody looks at him. I want that. And that, Rabotai, is how a person loses everything. It starts with jealousy. That jealousy leads for a person to live a, a, a life full of fulfillment of desires in the wrong way. But all for the purpose of achieving what? A prideful position. And when a person reaches that position of pride and honor, HaKadosh Baruch says, this person and me cannot live in the same world. Cannot live in the same world. Why? He thinks he made. She thinks she made. Everything. Including herself. She thinks she's God. I know I'm God. And therefore there cannot be two gods. HaKadosh Baruch Hu hates prideful people where it says toivat hashem kol gvalev it's an abomination abomination to hashem anyone that's a prideful person so you see rabotai it's that even if a person doesn't start off as a prideful person as an arrogant person if they begin with a lack of appreciation for the basic things of life that hashem gives them and they simply think that everything that they want they're entitled to it including a good life, including a blessings, including children, including a spouse, including heaven, including knowledge, including success, including money, including uh, uh, everything else. They simply think that Hashem owes them all this stuff. People owe them this stuff. This will lead them into a miserable life where they're simply looking to fulfill their desires in any which way they can, even if that means breaking every law under the sun and distorting the very Torah that has protected them for the last 3,000 years and become an abomination to Hashem in the end. So here we see Rabotai, how a person could literally take all the gifts that Hashem gives them and throw them all away. Why? You did not follow Da'at Torah. How did the Shvatim not follow Da'at Torah? There was one misstep that they made that could have fixed all of it. Having that original jealousy, you could say it's natural. Fine. Ultimate uh, uh, outcome of all of this, you could say, listen, one thing led to the other and uh, ended up with a disaster. We sold, they sold the brother. We sold the brother. Okay. How could we have stopped it? How could we have stopped it? 
a person made the wrong decision he thought that this money that's on the desk it's in a drawer that's in the safe of his company that doesn't belong to him so uh, he could take he help himself with okay he decided this is he's entitled to something and it ends up with a disaster jail sentence five years ten years whatever okay how could you stop these things how can you stop these things because a person can say listen i'm a jealous person i'm an american person i'm a this i'm a that i'm a this how could i stop it before it becomes this hell on earth that you're talking about how that could help who sends you messages every single day every single day he sends you every single day he sends you a video every single day he sends you some type of message that tries to get your attention to say look at me Hashem says look at me and ask yourself why you're in this world now the Shvatim also had this moment of truth and they failed miserably at it at this moment where when Yaakov sent when Yaakov sent Yosef to go and check if his brothers are doing well Yosef did not think twice he wanted to do the will of his father and he went already at that moment we know that the brothers had jealousy had hatred towards their brother but they never double checked whether they're right they never compared their conclusion their reality their logic versus what the Torah says so when they saw Yosef coming towards him they said they already decided we're going to conspire to kill him whatever way we're going to have to arrive at that conclusion that's how we're going to do it yeah but we have to we're religious Jews we have to follow the Torah no worry what he's doing is against the Torah how and they start manipulating things how they want says again if you're already going to have a bedin if you're already going to do a judgment according to the Torah why didn't you go to the Gdolador why don't you go to the door why don't you go to the biggest rabbi in the world and see what he thinks why do you always depend on your knowledge why don't you go to the rabbi Yitzchak Avinu was still alive if you say we can't go to our father he's biased it's his son he's not going to go against him he's not going to paskin against him you're right he can't paskin against his own son he can't even paskin but why didn't you go to Yitzchak Avinu who was still alive and say Yitzchak you're our grandfather we know you love all of us but here we have an alakha Yosef is saying all these things he has all of these dreams we believe he is trying to steal the kinghood and we believe we're supposed to kill him is that that Torah or is that that me that Torah meaning it's the opinion of the Torah that me meaning it's our own opinion if it's that Torah then we're gonna go get hundred percent and tell our father this is what we did but if it's that me if it's our own opinion then in reality all of us know that we have a problem at any given moment in a person's life it doesn't matter where they're at it doesn't matter where they're at if they really are not a hypocrite and not simply looking to remain a hypocrite they can ask what is the Torah about what I'm doing here I have been going to such and such place for my whole life some people don't like it some people like it 
I want to know. Am I allowed to go to this place? And guess what, Rabotai? Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is yes. Either way, you win. Why? If it's yes, then you no longer have to consider all of those people that say you're not allowed to go. Because you know you're doing this thing. It's allowed. No problem. But if it's no, then you know that continuing to go there, you no longer have any excuse. You no longer have any excuse. That's why the Shvatim would judge so harshly on this particular issue with Yosef. It wasn't about the fact that they sold Yosef instead of kill him and didn't necessarily show mercy. Is that you could have avoided this whole thing by simply going to Da'at Torah, going to the Bedin that's not yours, going to the Gdola Dor, going to the Rabbi and saying, what is the halacha here? What is the truth? What is the truth? What does it say? Today, Rabbi there are so many so many books available that make it so easy for people to know what the bottom line law is you can arrive at the conclusion uh, in a second but unfortunately many people distort the law distort the law and they mistranslate the law and they pretend like they know what they're saying that's why don't rely on your own understanding says Shlomo Amelech. don't rely on your own understanding ask the rabbi this is what it is this is what i'm doing I'm selling these goods for this. I'm, I'm, I'm buying them for this. Is this allowed or not allowed? Well, how are you selling them? Are you selling the uh, them as new, but in reality they're used? Are you selling them and they're really stolen? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And Rabotai, you'd be surprised how, how the Yetzirah is fooling people on a regular basis. I have people tell me, listen, uh, I, uh, I'm going to do a campaign. These people, they want to do some type of campaign. They want to raise a, uh, money from the community. They want to raise $20,000 to fight uh, some type of uh, issue within a community that's Yetzirah and so on. Okay, good. You want to fight the Yetzirah, you need some money to publicize things. No problem. So what's the question? Well, listen, I am raising $20,000. The guy tells me, I'm raising $20,000. But in reality, it's, I told everybody, I need $20,000, but in reality, I only really need $10,000. I can do it for $10,000. So can I just pocket the other $10,000? It is logic. What's the problem? I mean, what? I'm doing a service. I'm doing a service. I'm asking for $20,000 in donations, but in reality, I only need ten. What's the problem? The problem is you're a thief. That's the problem. The problem is you're a thief. They're not donating for service costs. If there's a certain service cost, it's not a problem. Nobody in their right mind will donate knowing that 50% of the money is going to some service cost that they don't even know is, 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 uh, is there because you're saying you're volunteering. The whole thing is a lie. You're a thief. But that, unfortunately, happens on a regular basis. People go, they, uh, they uh, come to, to the U.S. and to different places collecting money, and since they don't know where, uh, where to go, they have different people that broker the, uh, the deal. How? I'm going to take you to the rich people. I'm going to take you to the community. You're going to give me half the money that you collect. Now, the people that donate money to these people don't know that half the money they're donating is really going to buy some guy that's not, that you don't even know exists, buying more cars and houses and so on. Same thing with a lot of campaigns that are on the internet. You see people raising a certain amount of money for certain campaigns. In reality, many times it's not really by the family or the person that actually needs the money. It's by somebody else that's utilizing that story to make money for themselves. 
they have a campaign they're looking to raise a hundred five hundred a million dollars two million dollars for something and guess what they'll get the money and they'll buy themselves a bunch of stuff and sometimes they'll give some money to the actual needy too there's a real story there's a real story that got published in in uh, in, in israel and i i know this firsthand a poor woman gets a phone call one day and they're calling like, hey listen we're calling uh to raise money for this poor woman that uh you know she her husband left her with all the kids she's sick she's that she's that she's this all these different problems she's going broke she's oh wow that's a poor lady uh wait, wait, wait what's the name of the woman and say oh the name of this woman is such and such what do you mean where does she live this woman oh she lives in such and such said wait you're I'm that woman what hold on a second the rabbi well, I'll give the, the phone to somebody else they give the phone to somebody else he goes wait a minute you're calling me raising money for some woman and you're saying that you're raising this money for three months six months and you're raising two million dollars uh I'm assuming you've raised some money give me the money I'm the woman you're raising the money for hey lady we have cars to pay for and houses to pay for we'll we'll send you money when we get to it click and this is a real story that happened and it happens people literally just take stories they go and raise money and pay their own pockets why they don't see the hypocrisy in themselves because their desires are controlling the desires are controlling their life and unfortunately there's a lot of corruption out there a lot of corruption out there that's why i always tell people do not donate a lot of money or any money that's of significant value to you to anyone you don't know don't donate I asked even Robert Fine the other day I'm like listen there was a uh, campaign such and such over there he goes I don't donate to campaigns I said no I didn't ask you about donating campaigns we'll talk about something else he goes no I already have it in my mind first thing first I don't donate to campaigns because why he said I've seen too many bad things I've seen so many bad things and unfortunately a time some of the biggest coupons some of the biggest uh, campaigns out there and charitable organizations out there are full of corruption full of corruption why it starts with lack of gratitude it's, it starts with with the jealous it goes to jealousy it goes to fulfilling desires living a hypocritical life and seeking honor seeking to be the biggest seeking to be the strongest and so on and so forth how do you stop all of this always double check everything with datoa always double check everything with that time and you can say wait a minute but some of these things have rabbinical approval they say that Rav Kanievsky is supporting this one Rav Kanievsky is supporting that one and Rabbi this supporting that one in reality you need something that's a little closer to home to have a uh, a a, a uh, Rabbi Kanievsky signature or a some other gadol signature on certain things is not necessarily as big of a deal as it used to be why people are simply liars sometimes those rabbis don't even know this thing exists and sometimes they know it exists but they just don't know how corrupt you people are that are doing this campaign so you can't just simply rely on it. you have to make a few more phone calls before you're going to make these donations you have to do a little more research you can't just assume that just because there's some big rabbi's picture on it or there's some needy kid or there's some needy issue that you could just donate and think that it's going to end in the right uh, right hands I've seen with my own eyes how corrupt people are I've told you guys the story and I don't think I for the rest of my life I'm ever going to forget the story here in Florida here in Florida they were raising 2.2 million dollars for some sick kid Hashem, the community outpoured outpoured money and literally in a matter of a couple of days 2.2 million dollars was raised to pay for some 
heavy medical treatment for this kid. Then the family announced that they no longer need the money because the insurance, after all of the commotion that they went public with, the, that the insurance wasn't covering it, the insurance decided they're going to cover the treatment for the kid, meaning they no longer need the money. So if everybody, 10,000 people donated, 5,000 people donated, $2.2 million under the precept that you give this money to the family to give it to the hospital or to the hospital, wherever you want, whichever one is easiest, to get medical treatment for this kid so they could li- the kid could live. But now the family says, we don't need the money, the insurance covers it. So what is the default reaction of someone that believes in Hashem? Oh, Baruch Hashem, this is not easy for this. Let's give everybody the money back. Automatic, without asking why. He donated this $500 for a medical treatment bill that no longer exists. So I'll just give him back the money. What these three corrupt rabbis, at least three of them that I know of, and maybe perhaps it could be more, but at least three corrupt rabbis do, kept the money. They kept the $2.2 million, simply sent one uh, email, some homeless email they sent that most people didn't even get, saying, listen, the family says they, uh, they're getting everything done by the insurance, but since we see that there is a big need for this type of thing, we're going to keep the money and have a charity for it. That is gizzard. That's gizzard. That's stealing. That's stealing. So you have to understand all the time. We say things that perhaps make your hairs stand up. Perhaps annoy some of you. But what are we doing for our health? What are we doing? I have, uh, I have some type of... Uh, I tell people to cover their hair because I have a hat store. I tell people to not touch their wives in public because I have uh, some type of cream company that I want people to put cream on their hands first. I, I, I have a police officer that finds people uh, every time they touch each other. What, what do I get out of this? I tell people not to be immoral. Why? Because I have uh, some type of uh, benefit out of this in any way. You have to understand, this way it says in the Torah, I want you to have the truth because I myself lived a lie for, for many years of my life. I didn't know the truth, what it was. Nobody told me what it was. Once I found out about it, I realized a lot of people are living the same fake life that I did, thinking that it's true. So at the very least, everyone can make an educated decision. Once you have the information, your life is in your hands. But until you have the information, it's not fair to judge you. It's not fair to judge you so harshly without you having the information. Hence the reason why Kadosh Baruch Hu sends countless messengers to each and every single one of us throughout our life in order to get the message to us sometimes it's through a rabbi sometimes it's a youtube video sometimes a cd sometimes a usb sometimes it's the mailman sometimes it's a, uh, a brother a sister a friend there's all types of ways that akadosh who sends the message to each and every single one of us and not a single one of us will ever leave this world without getting a legitimate chance to know the truth Anyone that leaves this world has been given a chance to know the truth. If they lived with the truth, that means that they got the chance and they took advantage of it. If they lived without the truth, that means they got the chance and they denied it. They rejected it and they'll get punished for it. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch is a righteous judge. HaKadosh Baruch is a righteous judge. And he's not going to judge somebody for no reason. He's not going to let a person live a whole life for no reason. Everybody comes here for a reason. 
everybody is here to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu, and everyone here is supposed to serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu like he was. So you have started with a left foot, you started without knowledge, you started with the wrong knowledge, no problem. A Kadosh Baruch Hu will bring you the truth in one way or another or another or another multiple times, and that way you cannot leave this world saying, I didn't know. And this is the reason why the sages teach us that when a person goes up to Shemaim, Hashem shows him their book, their Torah, their actions of their life, and in comparison to the Holy Torah, and then the person himself or herself says to Hashem, thank you for the judgment. Judge me, throw me in heaven, throw me in hell. person judges himself. Of course, it's a bad deen, but a person judges himself. Says to Hashem, throw me in hell, I deserve it. Why? Look how much of a hypocrite I was. How ungrateful I was. You gave me food and I spit it in your face. So it's important for a person not to be a hypocrite. Not to be a hypocrite. Know the truth. Live the truth. Mizat Hashem, you'll succeed because of the truth. With that being said, I'm going to have a little bit of a drink and then you guys could ask some questions. Jack is asking. Uh, I have a Ruben, a question on eating at Friendly's, a non-kosher restaurant, but the ice cream is kosher. And you're eating it on glass dishes and cups or drinking alcohol at a bar or hotel lobby. They always serve it in glass cups. We have discussed this before, but I was wondering if you could elaborate. Okay. So going to eat at a or drink at a non-kosher place is forbidden for a Jew for multiple reasons. Okay, number one, any place that serves non-kosher food cannot be relied on. Just like in uh, Eretz Yisrael, if a person does not observe Shabbat, the Rabbanut will never give them a kashrut. Even if they sell kosher food, which is very easily accessible and cheap in Israel, they still will not get the kashrut. Why? Once a person shows that they do not care for the Torah, they can no longer be relied upon. If he doesn't keep Shabbat, therefore he doesn't care about his own neshama, and therefore you can conclude safely that he doesn't care about your neshama, which means that even though he is serving, generally speaking, serving kosher food, we still can't give him the kashrut because if he gets a really good deal on donkeys and elephants that look like chicken, he'll buy those donkeys and elephants and serve them to you and say it's chicken. Why? Because he doesn't care about his neshama, and therefore he surely doesn't care about your neshama. So he cannot be relied upon for kashrut. The same concept goes, or even more so goes, for goyim, for non-Jews. Non-Jews that are selling bacon uh, 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 and, and all types of uh, treif to say, oh yeah, but they're also going to sell me kosher ice cream. You cannot rely on such a thing. Why? First of all, they're non-Jews. Even a non-Jew cooks for you, you can't eat the food. So, needless to say, you cannot trust a non-Jew to serve you uh, a uh, food and say, oh, this is kosher. Even so, that if a Gemara Masechet Abu Dazara says that if a person has 
wants to deliver wine, wants to deliver barrels of wine. He has to put two seals on that barrel of wine. He has to put two seals on that barrel of wine if he's going to deliver it through some non-Jew. Why? If he, uh, he does not put the right amount of seals, we can't rely that this non-Jew did not open this barrel of wine and make the whole thing forbidden. And that's just wine, Rabotai. Needless to say, if it's something else, there's another thing. There is an issue of if, let's say, there is a kosher food. You have kosher food. You are on a plane, okay? You are in a restaurant. You brought your own food, okay? How about this? You brought the food. It's kosher, okay? Your wife woke up 6 o'clock in the morning, made you some steaks, and made you some cookies, and made you some whatever she made you, okay? Baruch Hashem. You took that food, and you brought it with you, right? Okay, Baruch Hashem. And your friends, they want to go to a non-kosher restaurant, and you want to eat your kosher food. Okay, Baruch Hashem. You decide that you're going to sit there and with your little kosher meal, with your little wrappings, and the I love you note from your dear wife, the tzaddika, right? Okay, of course she doesn't know you're going to go to a non-kosher restaurant, because if she did, she would yell at you. But you are chamol, and you're going to a non-kosher restaurant because you think you have kosher food, and that makes it okay. All right, ishtabach shimo. You're a non-kosher restaurant. Oh, I'm going to eat this. What are you guys going to eat? I'm going to eat bacon. I'm going to eat uh, snake. I'm going to eat snails. I'm going to eat frogs. Okay, I'm going to eat chicken. Kosher chicken. Okay, you eat your chicken. We're going to eat our, our bacon and our and our, our uh, cream cheeses. No problem. Okay. Uh, bon appetit. Okay, bon appetit. Oh, hold on a second. Since I'm eating kosher, obviously it shows I'm a Jew. That shows I also have to do blessing. I have to wash my hands. Okay, I'll be right back, guys. He goes to wash his hands. Guess what? Food's not kosher anymore. Why? The second he leaves, he leaves. The meat is no longer something he can see. Can't rely that the meat is still the same meat. Cannot rely that the meat is the same meat. The meat is no longer kosher. Yeah, but I see it's the same thing. Doesn't make a difference. Once there's, you can't see the meat, no kosher anymore. Why? Who knows what they put in it? Who knows what they put in it? It's actually a real story. A real story of a Jew with Yerat that went on a plane, brought food from his house. I'm sorry, uh, uh, asked for, uh, ordered from his house, uh, ordered food from the, from the uh, airport, kosher dish, ordered a kosher dish. So now everybody in the plane gets their non-kosher food, but this Jew gets his kosher food. Now, of course, the guy, the non-Jew that's sitting next to him, sees that his food looks different. He goes, what, 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 why does your uh, burger look different than mine? Your packaging is different. It has a lot of wrappings on it. Why? What's, what, what's special about his food? So the stewardess says, Oh, sir, yes. Uh, he ordered the kosher food. You want kosher food? No, no, I don't want kosher food. What's the kosher food? Hey, tell us it's kosher food. It's the Jewish people. Oh, okay. So, the Jewish guy has a kosher food in front of him. The non-Jew has not kosher food in front of him. Jewish guy can't eat. Well, he has to wash his hands. We're not animals. We're not donkeys. We have to go wash our hands. So he has to leave the food. Goes wash his hands. And he sits down. And he looks at his food. His drink. Thinks for himself. 
and decides to close the wrapper, close the food, and just eat some of the things that are in wrappings and drink the drink. He doesn't eat the burger. Several minutes later, the non-Jew that sits next to him is looking at him and he says, I don't understand. How come you're not eating? And the Jew says, uh, no, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry? Why not? We've been on a plane for 12 hours. Yeah, I know, but I'm just not hungry. Not hungry. Huh. Are you sure you're not hungry? Yeah, you want the sandwich? No, no, I don't want the sandwich. And the non-Jew is bothered by the fact of this Jew that he knows not eating the sandwich. But why not? Why are you not hungry? Did you eat already? No, no, I didn't eat, but I'm not hungry. But you were hungry before when you got the sandwich. So the Jew realizes that this non-Jew is not going to let this go. And they're on a plane. They're going to play. I think there was a, the flight was to Australia or something. It's a 17-hour flight or some, some, uh, some long flight. And he says to the non-Jew, okay, you want me to tell you the truth? I am hungry. But I have a Torah. And our sages told us that if we can't see our meat, we can't eat it. The moment that I walked away, I went to go wash my hands. Because I need to wash my hands. But then I forgot that there's an alacha that says that I can't leave my kosher food without supervision next to a non-Jew. No disrespect to you. This is the laws that we have. I went to wash my hands, but then when I came back, I realized, wait a minute, this food was here, unsupervised, next to non-Jews. Everybody has non-Jews. I don't know what happened. I'm hungry. But my sages told me I can't eat the food. And since... I follow the Torah, I'm not eating the food. The non-Jew almost had a heart attack and says to the Jew, your sages were divinely inspired. The Jew says, yeah, of course. He goes, no, no, no. Your sages know the truth. He says, yeah, I know the truth. He goes, your sages saved you from eating non-kosher. He said, what? Excuse me? What are you talking about? He said, listen, to be honest with you, I didn't really think much of this kosher, non-kosher thing. I never heard of it before. I'm not Jewish. When you went, I looked at your burger, and I looked at my burger, and yours looked better than mine. I said, what's the difference? Mine was even bigger than yours. So I switched the burgers. I switched the burgers. I give you my burger. I ate your burger. Meaning that your food was my food. It was not kosher. And your sages saved you from eating my food. To go to a non-kosher restaurant has a whole slew of problems. You cannot trust anybody there that is not Jewish. Needless to say, if he's a Jew, does not observe the mitzvot. That's another reason. Next reason is the fact that you the, the glass cup... The glass cup being, whether it be in alcohol or, or, or otherwise, it's not your problem. People think, oh yeah, why? It's because the cup didn't go to the mikveh, it doesn't absorb, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that you cannot rely on the people behind the counter. You cannot rely on the people behind the counter. You can say, wait a minute, I'm just simply having a drink. 
Who said that the drink is kosher? Who said that they didn't put some worms or worm blood or something else in there? No, why would they do that? Because it's part of their whole regimen. They have tequila and all types of other types of drinks where they actually have these bugs in there and they don't think it's a bad thing. They think they're doing you a favor. They don't think it's a bad thing to put something in it because they do it for themselves. A person that does not observe the Torah, does not understand the consequences of not following the Torah, doesn't think it's a big deal. I remember when I was in school, I used to go to public school. And I used to have a lot of non-Jewish friends. And I used to try to keep kosher, even as a little kid. And my friends would tell me, listen, why are you eating? I said, no, you know, I only eat kosher meat. Why? I said, because I'm Jewish. So how come you don't have that little hat? So what do you mean? Keep up? No, I'm not that religious. I just don't eat non-kosher meat. Okay, so you want a bite of my meat then? I'm like, no, no, no. It's not kosher too. Go, well, I'll bless it for you. I'll bless the meat for you. It'll be kosher. My friends will mess with me and tell them, I'll bless the food for you. Then I'll be kosher. They have no concept, no concept that this is kosher and that's not kosher and there's a difference. They think it's like some blessing, some formality because that's what they have in their world, in their religions. So you have to understand, when a person goes to a non-kosher restaurant, they cannot rely on anything. Even salad you're not allowed to eat in a non-kosher restaurant. Why? Anyone that cooks, anyone that cooks, like a Jew, knows what I'm talking about already, doesn't need an explanation. Anyone who doesn't cook doesn't know what I'm talking about. Why can't I eat salad at a non-kosher restaurant? Simple. When you go to a non-kosher restaurant, they, you say, I want salad. What do you want in the salad? I want some celery. I want some tomatoes. Whatever you want in your salad. Okay, they give you a salad. You eat. Okay, no problem. You go to a kosher restaurant and say, I want salad. What do you want? I want. Okay, you get a salad. You get celery and potatoes and tomatoes and everything looks the same. But it's not. Why? When you are a Jew, you have to wash each one of your vegetables multiple times in salt water and soap water in order to remove the bugs the maggots the the, the worms the flies the spiders the, all the other stuff that's there because if you eat one of those bugs it's like eating pig five times or six times now of course you can say yeah but the non-kosher restaurant also washes their vegetables if you compare how a jew washes vegetables versus how a non-jew you'll say the Jew is the only one that's washing vegetables. Why? Because the non-Jews, they wash the vegetables superficially. Simple. They put a, you know, they wash it to remove anything that's obvious. If there's a spider that's three pounds, they'll take it and they'll throw it away. If there's a fly that, that, that has uh, muscles, they'll take it and throw it away, of course. But not everything is that obvious. They'll wash it superficially and that's it. They put it on a plate. They're not putting it in soap water and salt water and that water. And they're not putting it in anything. They're just simply washing it with some water under the sink finished. And guess what? If there's a bug, they'll tell you, bon appetit. It's not a big deal to them. Why? Because some of them even eat bugs by choice. You see, you have to understand, Rabotai, the, the, the food that you eat as a Jew is a world apart, world apart from non-kosher food. And the more you know about Ashkacha, the more you understand how your worlds are not similar at all, at all, to the non-kosher world, to the non-Jewish world. 
the more you know, the more you realize how horrible, how horrible the acts of those so-called rabbis and Jews are that go to these non-kosher restaurants saying, oh, it's not a big deal, I'm just eating this, I'm just eating that. Because what they're doing is the next sin that I mentioned the other day. When a Jew, needless to say if it's a rabbi or a religious Jew, walks into a and sits down in a non-kosher restaurant, you have another sin called marita ein. Marita ein means that other people will see this person and arrive at conclusions. Conclusion number one, this person is a hypocrite. He says he's a rabbi. He says he's a kosher Jew, but he's here sitting in a non-kosher restaurant, which means that he is just like the criminals I used to see in the casinos and clubs and so on that pretended to be chassidim. That's a chilul Hashem. It's a chilul Hashem. That's number one. Or they arrive at a different conclusion. What's the other conclusion? Other conclusion is that this place really is kosher. It's not just kosher ice cream. It's not just kosher soda. It's also kosher meat, kosher pork, kosher uh, chicken, kosher everything. And you say, no, I didn't tell him that. It's not your actions told him. And our Alakha says it's forbidden to do such a thing. In fact, the Gemara says that the blood of an animal is forbidden, but you are allowed to drink or eat the blood of fish because they're not considered mammals and so on. Now, but if you're going to drink the blood of fish out of a cup, then you have to make sure to leave the skeleton of the fish next to the cup. Why? I don't want to look at the skeleton. I just want to drink the blood because I have a desire for drinking blood. Good for you that you like to drink blood, but the world does not revolve around you. You're not the only person in the world. There are other Jews in the world. And if another Jew sees that you are a Jew that's drinking blood, he'll assume that's cow blood, that's sheep blood, that's something else. He's not going to assume it's fish blood. He's not going to assume that. He's going to assume the worst. Why? That's the evil inclination in everybody. They're going to assume it's not kosher blood. So when you have the fish skeleton next to it, you are absolving him from any of this, any of his uh, 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 wrong notions. You say, what do I care about what he thinks? You're obligated to care what he thinks. Why? It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You have to be naki be'ene Hashem u'be'ene ben adam. You have to look clean. Clean meaning clean of sin in the eyes of a kadosh baruch Hu, and also in the eyes of man. You're not allowed to look like a sinner. You're not allowed to look like a sinner. So here we have at least a handful of more violations that a person makes by sitting down in a non-kosher restaurant, even if he doesn't eat. How about this? This is not even all of it, and this is not even half of it. There are more, but there are other questions also. Anyone who doesn't get the point still thinks they're allowed to go to non-kosher bars and restaurants and eat and drink. Suit yourself. Don't say you didn't know. Don't say you didn't know. I told you enough reasons. I believe there is more than, uh, more than enough justification to show we have no agenda here to tell people not to go to non-kosher places uh, for our own interest. I don't, it's not like I own restaurants and by you not going to non-kosher restaurants, you're going to go to my restaurants. I don't own restaurants. I have no incentive whatsoever in telling people to do anything unless it's for themselves. Unless it's for themselves. Somebody that's a Jew wants to continue going to non-Jewish places, wants to continue going to uh, uh, friendlies and other non-kosher bars and so on, suit yourself, 
have a good time enjoy yourself because you're gonna suffer a lot for it that's it you want to do it it's your business it's your blood is in your hands don't say you didn't know but the reality is it's forbidden for everybody to do it but if they want to do it there's nothing I can do I can just simply give you the information next question Rabbi do non-Jews soul go to Alamaba when they sleep if they should we wash our hands uh, when we wake up oh, okay so the um when a person dreams they have a uh, their neshama leaves their body a portion of their neshama leaves their body and uh, goes to a, a different part of the world that different part of the world is different for different people uh, different elevations different things uh, as far as the uh, um, when they wake up um, they uh, the neshama comes back obviously now when the Jew comes uh, wakes up he has to go wash his hands because he has to remove the impurity but that impurity only impacts the Jew it does not impact the non-Jew so a non-Jew does not need to wash their hands they should wash their hands for hygienic reasons but it's not for the issues of impurity the issues of impurity only affect the Jew not the non-Jew uh, Misha is asking uh, the Yetzirah will be destroyed in the world to come does that mean that there will be no need for Yirat Shamayim and it will be a world of just love of Hashem okay correction of the Yetzirah being destroyed the angel uh the satan the Malach Hamavit, the Yetzirah is all the same angel that angel has a real name uh and that name we're not allowed to say it because it get his attention and it's a uh, prob- problematic name but the Chachamim tell us that after Mashiach comes after Mashiach comes that name will become the most popular name people are going to name their kids that name why because once the Mashiach comes the job the role of being the Satan the Malach Hamavit, the uh, the evil inclination the uh, uh, the angel of death will be removed from this angel and he will become a holy angel so holy that people will want to name their kids after him so he will not be destroyed but rather the role the job that he has currently will be eliminated so that's one as far as the uh, 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 the, the world after Mashiach comes and uh, where there is uh, people going to be there it's going to be full of Yirat Shemayim, uh, full of Yirat Shemayim, but there are a different type of Yirat Shemayim. the lowest level of Yirat Shemayim is fear of punishment the highest level of Yirat Shemayim is awe of his majesty and that's the Yirat Shemayim that all people will have at the time of Mashiach uh, the righteous people will have the awe of his majesty that will always be that will always be uh, in fact the the way we learn about Yirat Shemayim is from the Gemara in Masechet Chagiga, uh, where it says that Akadosh Baruch Hu originally uh, took a uh, point; he, he made himself smaller. This is in uh, Gemara Masechet Chagiga, page twelve a. Uh, he made himself smaller, if you will, uh, in order to make room for a creation, and he let the world expand, similar to what the uh, scientists say of how. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a, a big bang and then the world expanded and it's still expanding uh, there is some truth in their uh, in their uh, world of lies 
uh, it's not, uh, it's obviously not like as, like as they say, but it's uh, not completely uh, uh, foreign. Nonetheless, the Gemara says that uh, Hashem allowed the world to expand, the, the heavens to expand, until uh, he wanted it to stop, and he roared, and the heavens stopped expanding because of uh, because he roared. So, and and on, because of that, he is known the God that said stop, the God that said die. Now, the from there we learn the uh, and from there we get the name Yirat Shemaim, fear of heaven. Why fear of heaven? Because when Hashem roared at the heaven. The heaven was so afraid, it stopped expanding. So that's where Yirat Shemaim originally stems from. Now that fear was not fear that Hashem is going to send the heavens to Geinom, but rather a, uh, a fear of His majesty, a fear of His uh, glory. And that is a fear that's of the highest level of servitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the highest level of servitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that will always be. That will always be. Bill is saying, I'm a non-Jew. My family wants me to help set up my sister's wedding. Uh, there will be a pastor and there will be immodestly dressed women. Uh, but there will be no dancing or alcohol. Am I allowed to help set up tables, chairs, or should I refuse? I mean, technically, you're not the one that's... Uh, conducting the uh, uh, the wedding you're not the one that is inviting the pastor you're not the one that is uh, marrying under uh, the pastor's uh, uh, idolatrous beliefs technically you're allowed to do it uh, technically you're allowed to do it as a non-jew there's no problem with it but uh, if you were a Jew I would say no uh, Angela says uh, those who follow Hashem Barach completely uh, there is no compromise. Yes, you're right. Uh, Chaim is asking, where is that piece of clothing today? You mean the kutonet? I'm wearing it. Well, you guys didn't notice? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's one of the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, hid into the world, uh, along with some other precious things, uh, like the uh, original Arona Kodesh, the... Uh, the Ten Commandments, both the broken ones and the second one. Uh, there's uh, the the uh, staff of uh, Aaron and Moshe, the the manna. There were multiple things that Hakadosh Baruch Hu hid himself in the world, um, and uh, even the uh, the first uh, Mishkan, the first technically the Bet Mikdash of the desert, uh, was never destroyed. And uh, has extraordinary holiness, and Hashem hid it in the world. He hid it in the world, and this will be uh, uncovered when the Mashiach comes. Uh, it has a. Uh, it was obviously a very holy place that was never destroyed, and the reason why it was never destroyed was because Moshe Rabbeinu built it, and uh, Hashem made everything that Moshe Rabbeinu did uh, become permanent, because uh, He said to Moshe, He promised him that you'll be like Me. In a sense that uh, they'll uh, be, uh, they'll recognize you like me because what I say is permanent, Hashem says, and what you say is permanent, and that's why the five books of Moses were named after Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, that uh, Hashem wanted to give uh, Moshe a certain uh, type of glory uh, that uh, makes him uh, very different from anybody else ever before or after him, uh, because Moshe Rabbeinu was so humble and running away from glory. 
The more you run away from glory, the more Kadosh Baruch Hu wants to give you glory. Jack is asking, question, Rabbi Ruben, I have a teenager and he battles wasting seed. Okay, so I get creative and bought him a PS5. <laughs> God bless you, Jack. Why would you buy him that? Uh, I bought him a PS5 to let out his aggression, but now he's hooked on playing Fortnite, not thinking of wasting seed as much. Is this the lesser of two evils? Plus, my wife is not happy I got him hooked on video games, but I think I did the correct thing because wasting seed is very bad. Wasting seed is very bad, but playing video games will lead into the same thing. Wasting seed is very bad, and, and playing video games is going to destroy his mind. Uh, it's going to uh, make him waste a lot of time, and he's going to lose the appreciation for books. The more people are on digital media, the less they appreciate books, the more difficult it becomes for them to learn Gemara, to learn Poskim, to learn Chumash even. Uh, it becomes difficult for them to pay attention in the shiur. It becomes difficult for them to even relate to the mitzvot because everything becomes digitized in their mind. And also, the video games create a certain uh, uh, desensitivity uh, to humanity. Hence the reason why it's a, uh, virtually a, uh, a guarantee that the school shooters of any kind, which right now I think they're averaging in America about one shooting per week, in, in schools in America, or at least that's what it was the last time I checked the statistic, uh, there's a lot of school shootings in America more than any other country. There's also a lot more video game playing in America than anywhere else. But nonetheless, the, uh, uh, you see all of the school shooters were heavy users of video games. Heavy users of video games that became desensitized to humanity uh, and actually wanted to make it more real life and many of them end up also putting special hats and recordings to record themselves killing people because that's how they started visualizing the world uh, so it's a uh, video games create a lot of problems the addiction to video games that we have in the world today is definitely one of the tools of the satan to make people less interested in the old ancient and beautiful torah uh, to make people uh, less uh, focused, to make people also uh, less patient. Everything in video games and digital media happens quickly, and they want things to happen quickly, so it's, you can never satisfy them. And it breeds bad character traits, lack of uh, appreciation, lack of respect, uh, lack of patience. In so many words, you just gave your kid poison. Uh, and uh, that poison is only going to get worse over time. It's like you just gave your kid cancer and you said, good luck. That's what you did. It's a, and as far as solving the problem of wasting seed, it does not solve the problem of wasting seed for a couple of reasons. Number one, one of the ways that kids get to pornography is through those game consoles because those game consoles have internet accessibility, which allows the kid to go to pornography, there are also different uh, uh, games and different things that also arouse children and people and adults. In so many words, you now have both problems instead of a single one. Listen to your wife. She's a smart woman. Get rid of that game console as if you're getting rid of Gogu Magog, Hitler, Nebuchadnezzar, and Esav himself and Amalek. All are in your house right now with this game console. It's the worst possible thing you could ever bring into your house. Worst thing you could bring into your house. I've seen kids that were Talmidei Chachamim that were doing great turn into complete degenerate losers because of game consoles. Of how much time they spend on it, it's uh, it's it's one of those 
things these one of these masisatan where literally a person even if it's an adult in his 30s and 40s could be in front of this game console for six hours and not even notice it not even notice it you ask the guy come to a shul torah after 20 minutes he's either falling asleep or he's getting up every two seconds because he's got ants in his pants but to sit and play six hours in a video game nobody has a problem even if it's the first time he ever played it's as if there's no Yetzirah to stop you from playing video games. Get rid of that cancer from your house. Get rid of it as soon as possible. I know that we as kids played it, but it didn't help us in life. It didn't help us in life in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it is a problem. It's addictive, and you could definitely do without it. And it's better to uh, hear your boy cry for, uh, for a week over not having it then you crying because you don't have a boy anymore because your boy is addicted into some screen and some illusion and you still haven't fixed the uh, the problem of wasting seed the way to fix wasting seed is simple education educate your son about what the truth is sit down with him and watch shiret torah with him not just about the subject itself but anything make a shiur night in your house guys Sure night, Rabbi Reuven is talking. Let's listen to it. Put it on a big screen. Instead of a video game, you have my big fat head on your screen or one of our movies on your screen and the whole family's watching it with some popcorn, with some potato chips, with some kosher pizza. You want to have a beer too? No problem as long as you don't drink too much. You're the father. It's allowed uh, to have a single beer. Uh, but the key is you're making it a family night, family event, watching Torah. That's what we're watching. We're watching Torah. The mom, the father, the son, everybody's watching Torah. You're bringing the greatest blessing in the world. Greatest blessing in the world into your house. Why? Because now you've made the Torah interesting. Not only is it in the same format, being digital format, but you like it. And if you like it, and you're going to do it with me as the son, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. And guess what? Countless parents call send messages send letters literally with tears on them tears on the letters of how happy they are because their little kids are watching my shooting they said i've never seen my kid happier than, than when he's watching your shooting and some of the parents say honestly i don't know why he's happy he keeps watching genom kafakela punishment this that but he just becomes a better boy it makes him happy i'm not really sure why i'll tell you why when people that are seeking the truth hear the truth even though the truth is sometimes harsh it makes their neshama happy because now they know how to avoid that harshness and that gives them a a, a good feeling in their heart so when people that are seeking the truth hear the truth even when the truth is harsh and many times in the Torah the truth is very harsh very harsh but when people that are seeking the truth learn it see it they love it and i have literally parents that have toddlers watching my shiret torah on a regular basis instead of wasting their lives on on duck videos and all types of stupid cartoons they watch my video they hear my voice apparently my voice has some type of thing for some kids they love to hear my voice i have kids that are five six seven eight nine ten literally from i've seen parents send me pictures of toddlers a few months old a month a year old two years old all the way to people that are in their uh, 90 something years old people uh all ages and the torah is for everyone it has nothing to do with me 
Perhaps there's not as many people that are as honest about the Torah. Perhaps there's not as many people that are not politically correct. But nonetheless, it's the same Torah. You could access it yourself. It's I quote the certain things for you guys to open the books yourself and check. Check everything that I'm saying. But the key is, that's what you need in order to eliminate that problem that your son has or anybody else has. To, to give a, uh, to take one uh, one disease and replace it with a bigger disease or or something that's uh, just as bad is not a solution i highly 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 recommend you get rid of that thing and you should uh, uh perhaps get your son a different present uh to to make him feel better but a kosher present not just uh something that is going to make him uh you know addicted like most of the kids today and again i know that we as kids played those video games and they, number one, did not help us one bit. And number two, the video games today are much more graphic, much more vicious, much more uh, dangerous than they were when we were kids. When we were kids, the most uh, graphic game was, uh, was Contra, which a bunch of d- digital images that were shooting some, uh, some yellow point at some other digital images. Today, the, 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 the games look like be- more real than real people. The games look more real than, real, than reality. Uh, today there is uh, immodesty even in the games. There's an uh, endless amount of garbage in games today. I'm, I'm telling you this from knowledge of people that are dealing with this problem and it's an addiction of its own. Highly, highly recommend get rid of that thing without thinking twice. Without thinking twice. Take it in the garbage. Don't sell it to anybody. Not allowed to make other people sin. Take that thing, throw it in the garbage. It's like uh, fulfilling the mitzvah of destroying Amalek. Next, um, Jose is asking, how were Yosef's brothers able to remove the special kutonet from Yosef if this kutonet gave him uh, powers? Perhaps it gave different people different powers. Uh, it wasn't all the same for, for different people. Uh, and uh, that, that could be it. Perhaps uh, you could even argue that since they paskind and alacha, Yosef uh, did not uh, fight them. Did not fight them. I mean, you see that when he is uh, standing in the hole and he's crying to them, uh, he's not uh, cursing them out. He's not telling them even that they're wrong. He's pleading with them. So you see that Yosef didn't really fight back. He didn't really fight back. And also when he meets them up again, 20-something years later, uh, he doesn't talk about how he fought back with them. or There wasn't a fight. He didn't put up a fight. But when he saw them uh, later on, uh, he, he did put up a fight with Yehuda uh, to prove and see if Yehuda really uh, has done tshuva or not. Uh, Mordechai is asking, how does clinical OCD interact with Alakha? My uh, local rabbi told me that with my issues, I can receive a hetel to not wear tefillin. Is this allowed? This issue with tefillin has been severely disturbing to me. And interfering with my overall practice of Judaism, my general daily functions, responsibilities. Uh, I would have to uh, know a lot more uh, and uh, review it with, uh, with, uh, with a prosek uh, before giving you such a thing. I would have to know a lot more about the details of the OCD, how does it uh, actually impact putting on tefillin in the first place. I mean, I understand generally I could think of, uh, oh, you're putting it on, so therefore you have to put it on several times. Uh, I According to uh, basic knowledge that I have, just on what I'm understanding, I still don't think it would give you permission not to put on tefillin because tefillin is a Torah obligation. 
so it's it's better that you put on tefillin three times a day than uh, than not putting them on at all. Because if you don't put them on at all, uh, it's a it's a serious problem. But at the same token, it's a medical issue. So uh, you know it has to be evaluated with a posek. I would not uh, conclude this based on my own judgment nor on the judgment of any local rabbi unless that local rabbi is a Talmud Chacham that's a posek. It has it's, it's a psak uh, knowledge and is uh, has a, a track record of doing so. I deal with uh, you know we we work with uh, with uh, quite a few of them. But uh, you know, it's it's generally poskim are not uh, local rabbis. Uh, what level of genom is neshama destroyed for evil souls? Some say it's a piece of Hashem and cannot be destroyed. Uh, okay, so the neshama has in essence two parts. One part is the uh, part that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put in Adam Rishon, that part is perfect and is indestructible. And then there's another part that's in essence the you. The, the you and the me in that neshama. So when a person is a sinner and is not following the Torah and dies without following the Torah, the, uh, the part that's destroyed is the, uh, the, the, the person part, not the God part. Uh, the God part goes back to the original source. Uh, and again, we only talk like this, not that because God has parts, he's, and he has no body, no image of a body, no parts, but we have to say this uh, in order for the ear to understand what we're saying. So that's the way the Torah speaks, where you have a, uh, it says Hashem has, took Am Yisrael out of Egypt with a strong arm, even though Hashem doesn't have an arm. It says Hashem got angry, Hashem doesn't have moods, but the point is the Torah speaks in certain ways for people to understand because the Torah is speaking to people. Anyone that has uh, needs more uh, uh, clarity on that issue should read the Rambam, Ilchot uh, Yesodea Torah, uh, the, first, uh, uh, the first two chapters talk about the, uh, this, this particular aspect of uh, uh, metamorphosis and, and, and different ways that Hashem is described in the Torah. But the point being is, is that the the part of the soul that is in essence Hashem that is indestructible that goes back to Hashem, uh, the part that is the you, the me, the him, the her, the, the in essence the people that part is destructible and uh, is destroyed if a person does not do tshuva. Yes, and as far as people that say it's indestructible, uh, that simply means they did not learn the subject. Uh, and uh, they have no idea what they're talking about, but they wanted to give you an answer to make you feel good, and at the same time, make themselves feel good by looking like they know what they're talking about. But in reality, they should not speak a single word because they simply don't know what they're talking about because their statement is contradicted by no less than a half a dozen gemarot that say that uh, the, the souls of the wicked are destroyed and then put as ashes under the uh, feet of the righteous. There's literal gemarot in Masechet Chagigah, in uh, Masechet Shabbat, Masechet Sanhedrin, and, and countless other gemarot that discuss how the souls of the wicked are destroyed and become the ashes under the feet uh, of, of the righteous. Countless gemarot. Now they're going to say, yeah, but that's parables, that's this, that's that. Okay, buddy. You're, no, you're, you're dealing with crazy people. You want to deal with Talmidei Chachamim that know the truth, they have to learn the truth from multiple sources, and nobody that is a Talmid Chacham 
will tell you that the soul does not get destroyed. It's complete apikosut, complete heresy that I personally can't stand because I know it enables people to simply become complete heretics altogether. Uh, because if, if everybody gets the same punishment or there is no punishment, therefore I'm allowed to do whatever I want. That is the logic that is the ultimate conclusion of anybody that, uh, that doesn't believe in a ultimate judgment that uh, the Torah describes. Uh, next question. Uh, which type of kilim are problematic to use for netilat yadayim? Uh, no, nothing is really problematic to use for netilat yadayim uh, unless it is something that's used for filth, uh, which probably is not relevant to you and most people, but if, let's say, for example, there's a, uh, a tool that is used for, for, for filth, for a person to urinate in or to, to do something else, uh, that should not be used for netilat yadayim. Um, if it's used for, uh, for, for animals and things like that, that should not be uh, used for neti dime. But if it's a common thing, a uh, piece of plastic uh, that's a little uh, bucket, or it's even if it's a cup, cup like this, cup, you want to use that for neti dime, you can. You want to use your uh, bottle of water, you can. You want to use a, uh, an atlan that you can buy for $1.50 on the internet uh, that's with the special handles that the Jews use, you can. Uh, you want to buy the fancy schmancy ones that uh, many Jewish homes have. Uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, they're, they're very beautiful. You can. Some are made out of ceramic, some are made out of metal, some are made out of glass, some are made out of plastic. Uh, you can use any of them for that. No problem whatsoever to do, use that for Netilat today. Uh, I was saying, uh, I heard that Ajahn Major claims that the Torah allows suicide and that it doesn't matter because you're only killing yourself and that there is no punishment. What does the Torah actually say about suicide for those who are wondering? This might oh, be a shocker, a shocker to some people, but suicide is not against the Torah or the Torah is not against suicide. Well, it's killing just like anybody. Anything. Uh, not, I mean, who gets put to death for it? I mean, you're killing yourself. Uh-huh. Suicide is 100% forbidden. Forbidden for a person to commit suicide unless it's for the sake of the Torah. Meaning, this idiot, ignoramus, chamor, named Asher Meza, who does not know anything at all, literally 9 out of 10 things that come out of his mouth are wrong, and the one thing that comes out is right is simply by the fact that a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, he literally doesn't know anything. The more I've heard stuff that he says, the more I realize he's so stupid. He doesn't know anything. So Torah does not allow suicide, but he uses, yeah, but Shaul HaMelech killed himself. Yes, you chamor. Shaul HaMelech killed himself because it was, it was considered a, 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 a death for the sake of the Torah because they would have made him serve a idol and you're allowed to kill yourself and you have to kill yourself and not commit idolatry or not to commit uh, immorality and not to kill somebody else so there are three conditions where the torah says that you have to die if even if that means kill yourself and not commit the sins there are koanim that kill themselves 
uh, and instead of allowing the goyim to kill them because they knew if they allowed the goyim to capture them those goyim will cause them to uh to uh commit idolatry so there are conditions where you not only can kill yourself you have to kill yourself you have to kill yourself but to just say any stupid kid that is depressed because his girlfriend left him is allowed to jump off of a bridge that's allowed that is an irresponsible stupid statement by a stupid person who doesn't know anything but yet considers himself more knowledgeable about judaism than anybody else in the world literally the, the my shoe my shoe that i haven't even worn yet knows more torah than his donkey but he is says to people and i've seen this with my own eyes he says to people suicide is not a problem not realizing that there are some people that are at such low levels emotionally spiritually that could be listening to this and they are already suicidal and they could be listening to this chamol and tell oh, suicide is a is allowed and that was the one thing that was holding them perhaps before killing themselves this guy said suicide's allowed god's not going to be upset at you guess what you could have blood on your hands you could have blood on your hands but that's the problem when a person doesn't see anything but himself doesn't see anything but his own ego his own agenda doesn't care about anybody but himself his own recognition then guess what he doesn't care if people die he doesn't care if people are sick he doesn't care if people are hurt oh why i messed up oh okay no problem no problem with a stupid head statements like that bother me probably more than anything else because they're irresponsible you could easily look up the halacha in a book in five seconds and you could find the conclusion you type in on google does judaism allow suicide no one says yes even the reform are not going to say yes even the reform are not going to say yes but this chamol says yes why he has a different religion he has a different religion and his religion literally is closer to the indians that are eating people than it is to judaism so do not listen to anything he says everything is wrong just like the chazoni says every conclusion they have is wrong everything is wrong everything he literally cannot arrive at a correct conc- conclusion if his life depended on it he's 100 it's not even a joke it's not an insult it's 100 truth he's you, you judge him by any torah scholar you want in the world any legitimate torah scholar that has you that within five minutes they'll say this guy's a chamo it's it's unbelievable how people listen to him but i mean most people listen to him either chamorim like him or they're just so ignorant they don't know what the truth even looks like if it them in the face but do not listen to his irresponsible statements where he says you're uh, you're allowed to uh, 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 kill yourself or another said you're if you're a non-jew you're allowed to be with uh, you're allowed to cheat on your wife one thing i have to ask a quick question i heard from a rabbi that gentiles don't have to get married like they can do whatever they want as long as they don't break the seventh commandment is that true like they don't have to get married they can have one night stands if they want to the, the, because they're technically not obligated sexual one immorality night stands. one night is not like uh yeah well sexual immorality is different for a gentile than it is for a jew right i mean for sure you're technically allowed to, to cheat on your wife and you know and and have threesomes and all this stuff and uh, that you're not violating anything it's it's a yeah Chamor, it's a violation of the seven Noahide laws called adultery i mean 
literally you have non-jews that just became just abandoned christianity yesterday that know more torah than Hashemizah. you have little children little children that are not even at chinuch age they're not even five six years old yet they know more torah than Hashemizah. my shoe my shoe knows more torah than Hashemizah. my kids were toddlers know more torah than Hashemizah. everybody in the world knows more torah than Hashemizah. the guy is the biggest chamor in the history of man literally even Manis looks like a Talmud Chacham next to Asher Meza because at the very least the guy doesn't quote Allah the wrong way he just distorts the Torah in his own imagination Asher Meza literally he paskins wrong all the time all the time Goyim are allowed to commit adultery why Asher Meza says so Goyim, uh, people are allowed to kill themselves why Asher Meza said so uh, you're allowed to eat uh, non-kosher restaurants. Asher Mason said. He has some pictures of me in a non-kosher restaurant. I go to non-kosher restaurants weekly. Everything he says is wrong. Everything he says is wrong. It's like it boils my blood to see how many mistakes these people encourage people to do, and yet they're still in the world. They're still in the world. It's unbelievable. Hashem, Kadosh Baruch removed his Facebook page so he has less less impact Bezal Hashem the uh, the rest of uh him and his uh videos will be removed soon too but nonetheless Rabotai he'll probably be replaced by some other you have to learn Torah if you want to know Torah you can't rely on anybody so the, the stuff that people say today I, I don't know how how they could sleep at night one or two more questions left and then I'm finished uh why does Hashem allow Egyptian dynasties, idol-worshipping dynasties and kingdoms to exist for so long without being destroyed? And why does He allow their tombs and shtiot to be preserved? Because Hashem allows this world to exist for the sake of free choice. Uh, meaning that if Hashem only allowed this world to exist as long as people serve them, then there wouldn't be free choice. That's number one. Number two, you have to have empires and kingdoms and glories and so on exist if you want the world to develop. And Akadosh Baruch Hu allowed all of these other uh, empires and civilizations to exist for the sake of them developing the world in order for the Jewish people to use those tools that the non-Jews uh, create to serve Hashem even better. That's what the Rambam says, uh, where he says that uh, Hashem would even give some uh, Ishmaeli, some Arab, the thought, the money, the resources, the, the, the ability, and the craziness to build some tower in the middle of the desert because many years later some righteous Jew is going to be walking in the desert and need to use a shade and that building will exist just for those few moments that the Jew can enjoy it for a shade that's how much Hashem loves the Jewish people but that's also why Hashem allows the uh, the non-Jews even if they're idol worshippers uh, which most of the time they are why he allows them to exist and grow and so on but at the same token, he also allows the non-Jews to become righteous, just like he did with many other non-Jews in the world that either converted to Judaism or became righteous Noahites, uh, which uh, there is even in the Torah. You have the uh, Navi uh, 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 Ovadia, you have the Navi uh, uh, Job, uh, that have sections in the Torah. Sections in the Torah. Um, Molcha is asking, uh, is it permitted to daven with Chabad Meshichistim? Um, Arav, uh, Arav Feldman, Arav Aaron Feldman, which is one of the Gedolei Ador in America, I had the privilege of talking to him one time, 
is uh, an extraordinary Talmud Chacham, and he actually paskined that uh, you're not allowed to, uh, to even count a Chabadnik that believes that the Rebbe is God, not even allowed to count him in Minyan, but if he's a Meshechist, if he's a Messianic, where he just believes that the Lubavitcher Rebbe is Mashiach, you're allowed to count him in Minyan, which means that if you're allowed to count him in Minyan, then in essence you're allowed to pray with them but he said do not support them though don't support them so if you know you praying with them uh is the only thing that you have available to you you can uh, as long as they're not influencing you to become messianic also uh if they show up to your synagogue and they want to pray with you as long as they're not trying to influence the public that's fine too uh but uh if you see that they're influencing people and they're trying to get people to believe that the Rebbe is Mashiach or, or otherwise, then no, then you have to uh, say no, no, Shabbat. this is the line uh, where the, uh, you know, you can't cross this line. Uh, it's, a, it's a problematic, and that's a Pesach Halacha from Arab Aaron Feldman, uh, who's one of the Gdoledo in America, uh, Okay, last question, Michael is asking, um, uh, if a Gentile, says a blessing to a Jew should a Jew answer amen also if the Gentile asks a Jew for a blessing is it permitted to give a blessing to him uh, okay so as far as giving a blessing a Jew can give a blessing to anybody that he wants a Gentile can give a blessing to anyone that he wants uh, there's no problem a, uh, a regular Jew can give blessings a Talmud Chacham can give blessings uh, there's no problem in a, uh, Jews giving blessings to non-Jews uh, we have uh, places in the Torah where uh, Jews gave blessings to non-Jews, Yaakov Avinu gave a very big blessing to Paro. You'll see this in, uh, in the parasha in two weeks, or in a week. Uh, you'll see it that Yaakov gave a blessing to Paro, and uh, what ended up happening is that the blessing of Yaakov was fulfilled, where the, the, every time Paro would walk up to the Nile River, the Nile River would, would rise and then bow, to Paro, and that's why they, the people started believing that Paro was God. So uh, we see there that uh, uh, there is a source that Jews are allowed to give blessings to non-Jews, and it's, uh, it's not a problem at all, uh, and a non-Jew can give a blessing to a Jew also, it's not a problem at all. Uh, if a Jew says a blessing, uh, should the Gentiles say Amen? Sure, you should say Amen, because the blessing is, Amen means El Melech Ne'eman. God is the king, and, he's, uh, and he is... Um, reliable if a gentile says a blessing should a jew say amen and the answer is no and the reason why is because you don't know if he's if he's blessing the same god if he's blessing a different god like jesus or or buddha or some other uh, strange god that uh, people have okay uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu bless each and every single one of you to continue growing in Torah. Remember, we have uh, uh, Hanukkah coming up in just the next several days. Hanukkah is a time where each one of us has to elevate the Kedusha in our houses, in our lives, in our own Neshamot. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 29b, uh, discusses the whole issue of Hanukkah. I highly recommend people learn this before Hanukkah. There's a debate between Shmaya and Aftal, uh, and I'm sorry, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel that discuss Hanukkah and whether this is a time to elevate the Kedusha, lower the Kedusha. Conclusion is, always elevate Kedusha. Always elevate Kedusha. Be'ezat Hashem, we continue to elevate Kedusha 
stay away from bad people, stay away from poison, and that will allow your neshama to continue rising higher and higher, serving Kadosh Baruch at the highest level. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam, Amen ve'amen. אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפיוניון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא משלות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, ישכילו ויצליחו, יזכו עוד לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה. איפה הוא גר? בפלורידה. פלורידה, איפה זה פלורידה? באמריקה. כן, ליד. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית גדולה. קהילה ספרדית גדולה.